Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. But I just really want to encourage us tonight. If God is stirring something in your heart or maybe someone shares a word and there's this feeling that this is for you, you need to respond, you need to move, you need to act. Obey that feeling. Draw near. God is calling. There's grace given for something to change, for God to come and renew something, to come and restore something. And how tragic when we walk out with that same thing, still in our hearts, still in our lives, um, when God came and he actually wanted to save. Amen. Let me pray for us and and then we dive in tonight. Thank you, Lord, that we can be here, Father. Thank you for the invitation, Lord, of you calling, Lord, you drawing near in each and every heart, Lord. And we pray, Lord, tonight, Father, as we draw near, Lord, by your grace, that we would see who we are, Lord, in light of who you are, Father, to bring true hearts, Lord, the things that we struggle with, Lord, that we tend to hide away, May we bring everything to you, Father, so that you can come and work, Lord, can come and heal, can come and restore. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness, for your faithfulness. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are here working in hearts, Lord, bringing a renewal. And thank you, Jesus, that through your sacrifice on the cross, everything is possible. In Jesus' name, amen. So our title for tonight is Called and Sent. Part two, he called and they came. He called and they came. It's so beautiful with that second song that we sung as well. The Father's arms are open wide. Jesus is calling. And I really believe that there's an invitation tonight as well to just come again to Christ, to come and sit at his feet. In the last while, I'm gonna try not to be too long tonight so that we can really do some introspection and also have some fellowship afterwards as well. But the last while we've been focusing on this whole idea of us as a church to open up our, our arms again, to lift up our eyes again, to see the harvest is ready, but God wants to use us. He wants to send us out. And after this interesting time of COVID and everything that has happened, we as a church have gone like this, self-perseverance. We want to keep everything we have to ourselves as long as possible to be as comfortable as possible. And God says, no, it's time to open up to allow God to come and send and lead. And like we said, the first thing that needs to be restored is just, again, a revelation about who God is. Like we said at camp as well, you know, many times when we look at our prayer lives, it's more or less an idea of we wanting God to follow us. Lord, we have a couple of things planned out and we have a five or a 10 year plan and there's a lot of things gonna happen and if you can come and bless some of those things, Lord, man, that would be nice. And that is us saying, Lord, follow us, follow me. Instead of sitting and asking God, Lord, what is it that you want me to do? Where is it that you are leading me? Where are you sending me? And I wanna follow you, Lord, I wanna obey you. And then secondly, also, we need a heart for the people out there, a love, a compassion. It's the love of Christ that will move us out of our comfort zones. To not just care for ourselves, but to care for the people around us as well. And again, the invitation has, has came through a couple of times. Have we begun to pray for the harvest? 
have we said, Lord, here we are, Father, send us. Send laborers into the field. We see the harvest is ready. The people are hurting. They have nowhere to go. They have no shepherd. Send those who carry the truth to go and proclaim the truth in love. Understanding about who God is on the one hand, the care for the people that's going lost on the other hand. And then tonight we need to do a little bit of introspection and also look at ourselves when it comes to the school and sent. And we've asked the question, how do we get from Mark 1.17 to Matthew 28 verse 19 to 20? Obviously logically you'll get there when you read backwards in your Bible, but I mean practically, how do we get there? From Jesus calling us to going out and making disciples. Because we know what we should do, but like we say, the church struggles a little bit. There's a passivity. It's not something that flows out naturally. And one of the things that we should note and see here in Mark 1.17 is that Jesus said, and Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And the first thing to note is where does transformation take place and who does the transforming? Jesus does. He's the one that transforms, that shapes, that molds us, that forms us into something. Jesus is the one that does that. And yes, he uses his body, but if there isn't that private, quiet time with God, then nothing happens, nothing changes. That needs to be there, the calling to come. And many times out of passivity, we struggle to draw near to God ourselves. And many times we are so focused on other people or other stuff that needs to happen that we don't draw near. It's easier to pray for the problems of other people. Amen. Easier to speak about them, the problems of the country, than my own problems that I have. It's a bit uncomfortable. And we move past ourselves and we neglect to draw near to God. And like I said, he transforms us through his body, but that personal relationship, that personal drawing near needs to be there. And we've seen in the last, well, if there's a neglect of that, then people's ministries crumble down. In the last while across the world, there's been a lot of people that are in full-time ministry that have fallen, if you can call it that. Public ministries where certain things come out and say, wow, these people are now disqualified from ministry. They've fallen away and everything that they've built up crumbles. And the interesting thing that we forget is that all of us are called to public ministry. It's not just some. And in fact, many of us sitting here tonight has a bigger public ministry than the people in full-time ministry. We're all in full-time ministry, you know what I mean. Like for example, the people working at, at Sussel or at schools, how many people do you interact with or how many people see the way you live your life in a month's time? So now it's just about 200, 300 people maybe come through these doors in a month. How many people do you work with? How many people see the way you live your life? It's also public. And if it doesn't align with scripture, we're easy to say that those in the full-time ministry, you know, they've fallen, but the same is true for each and every one of us there where we minister to the people around us as well. People beholding the way we live our lives, what we say. It's like any said a couple of months ago. The question is not, do you have a ministry? The question is, how is your ministry going? What are you giving to the people around you? What example are you setting? What 
information are you giving them? But we inevitably have an effect on the people around us. And like we know, obviously we fall in private long before we fall in public. In private when no one was looking, stuff untangled long before people around us began to notice and see. Amen? It's in the private. You see, and even many times when it comes to you know, doing this Christian thing, this discipleship thing, acting in a certain way, coming to church, and understand that and we need to be aware that we are influenced by some of the things that we do. If I ask you a question now, you are thinking with a certain mindset because you are sitting in church, dressed a certain way, it's Sunday, someone's preaching, we just worshiped. If someone at work asks you a question, you're thinking with a different mindset. And we need to be aware of that. But we think and act in certain ways based upon where we go. And many times when we try to do this Christian things, it's, it's tiring. It tires us out. And every now and again, we can't seem to just face the church or to face small group or to go to that place again because I'm tired now. And we need to ask ourselves the question, why? Why does that happen? And the question is, who is it, who's, who's it for, for us as individuals the easiest to be? For you, who, who are you? The, like if you have to be someone and that is the easiest to be, who is that? The easy answer is yourself. The easiest person to be for each and every one of us is ourself. The real us, what comes to the front, what comes out of my mouth, the things that I do, the things that I see, the things that I'm thinking about. It's the easiest just to be myself. Who's it the most difficult to be? Anybody else. Anybody else. And many times when we are faced with a certain group of people, obviously at work as well, we try to do our best. But we are not always ourselves. It's a matter of pretense. And we neglect to allow God to form us in private. The real us the real things we struggle with, the real things we think about, the real areas where transformation is necessary. And then when we move out of that place into a public sphere, then we have to pretend because we haven't been changed. It hasn't formed as it should have been formed. And we're gonna read through this passage and we're just gonna focus on the school to come to Christ and do some introspection and ask us, who are we in private when no one's looking, when only God is there? How are we doing in those areas? So let's read together. <clears throat> Same passage of scripture as last week. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all intertwined. Matthew 9, 35 to 37. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction when he saw the crowds, he was moved with compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And he went up on the mountain to pray and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called to him those whom he desired and they came to him. And he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him 
and he might send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons and to heal every disease and every affliction. These are the 12 he appointed, Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew his brother, and James and John and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas and James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Then Jesus came down with them and stood on a level place, and a large crowd of his disciples was there, along with a great number of people from all over Judea, Jerusalem, and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. They had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases, and those troubled by unclean spirits were healing. The entire crowd was trying to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Like we said when we move through that passage, we see a beautiful example of what discipleship looks like. Jesus telling them what it is that sets this whole thing into motion, telling them what he's calling them to do, but then he sets the example. He shows them how to do the things that he's calling them to do, and then afterwards, he sends them out. And last week, we focused on the compassion part, the part there in Mark 9, where Jesus sees the crowd, and he has compassion, and he's calling his disciples to pray. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into the harvest. And then he himself goes and spends a night in prayer. And then he comes down and he calls his disciples to himself. And here's where we pick it up. And very important for us to note what the calling is, where the shaping takes place, what the purpose is of Jesus calling us to himself. And it says, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when they came, he called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach, and to have authority to cast out demons. We called them for two reasons. Firstly, to be with him. And the second one, to send them out to preach so that he can form them and mold them while they are with him. And then when he sends them out to preach, he's not sending people out to go and try and pretend to be something that they are not. But the way he formed them, mold them, the things that he gave them, the truth instilled in them flows out naturally and automatically. It's not a pretense, it's something that we kind of cannot help contain. It just flows out spontaneously. And one of the things that we should note and examine tonight is that inevitably, you know, because many times we, we get these two things mixed up and certain people will say, you know, I know I'm not very active in the sending out part, the making disciples part or the preaching the gospel part, but man, I'm enjoying time in God's presence this last while. And then we can say, no, but that is not true. It's incoherent of scripture because scripture says out of the presence of God, the sending will always come. The inevitable outflow of beholding and enjoying this God will be to go and proclaim his goodness to those around us. We cannot contain it for ourselves. Whenever we see in scripture someone confronted with Christ and meeting God, there's a sending that happens. Right through scripture. Moses in the burning bush, when Daniel sees this vision of Christ, 
When the disciples meet Jesus, there's a sending out. When Isaiah encounters God, there's a sending. When John encounters God, there's a writing that needs to happen. But there's an inevitable outflow to spread the good news of God to those around us. So that's the first thing we need to be aware of. And we've said it a couple of times these last months. But if there's not an outflow, it's because there's no inflow. If nothing's coming out, it's because nothing's going in. Amen? We need to be aware of that. The inevitable things that flow from our lives. And that first one, just again, so that they might be with him. Why? So that he can form them. Follow me and I will make you. I will transform you. And the question we need to ask ourselves tonight, is there transformation happening? Is there inflow happening? And how we can see that is by what's coming out and not when we are our best. You know, we tend to measure ourselves in the strangest moments. You know, for me to, to think that my spiritual life is summed up every time I stand here in front and preach, it will be a great deception. The man I am before my wife and my kids at home, that is who I am. The man that I am in my quiet time in the morning before God when no one else is looking, that is who I am. Not when we minister publicly. So the question is, who are we? What is flowing out when we are not intentionally focused on those around us? What comes out naturally? Is there inevitable outflow? Is there always a, a seeming us pretending to be something we are not when we are surrounded by different people? The language that we use, do we use it everywhere? In small group, the dialect that we use, the things that we speak about. Just some introspection needed. We need to answer these questions. And again, not in a condemning way because many times we fear, man, if people know, if they know who I really am, if, if they know what I really do or think, or whatever the case might be, man, there's going to be a great rejection. That's not the case. Same is true with God. Fully known, fully loved. God fully knows us, yet fully loves us. It just breaks our mind. How is that even possible? But we need to answer those questions. Specifically for us, and as, the longer you've been in church, maybe the more you need to be aware of it and ask those questions. The way we worship tonight, is that the way your worship looks like when no one's around? Is there any worship when no one's around? When you kneel down, when you cry, when your hands are raised, does it only happen here? Because if it does, that's problematic. We need to ask ourselves the question, why doesn't it look like that when I'm with God alone? Because I'm doing it here for God alone. Why am I influenced by those around Am I allowing God to shape and transform so that when I go out in public, I look the same as I do in private? The prayers that we pray, the way we pray, do we pray in private? Well, some people have a, a prayer voice. I don't know if you, you are one of the prayer voice, but you know what I'm saying? When we pray, our voice changes, the way we, 
we speak. Does it sound the same in private? We do stuff differently in different spaces, regardless of what we're busy with. But if you have a prayer voice, do we have it alone as well? Because if you have it alone as well, then that'd be great. But how does your worship look like when only God is there? The way you pray, the way you express yourself, does it look different when people are around? We need to ask that questions. And second question that we also need to ask ourselves when it comes to this is the order of things, to get it right. Jesus says there will be a a being with him where the transformation happens and that out of that place of rest and transformation, he'll send us out to go and live out of a place of being full. It's like the rhythms of creation, an interesting concept. You know, man was created on what day? Day number six. What did he do on the seventh day? He rested. Imagine that. Adam coming full of zeal, full of passion. It's the seventh day. Yes, God, yeah, I am. What do you want me to do? He's like, no, grab a chair. It's a rest day. It's like, but I haven't done anything yet. It's like, no, that's the point. We don't work until we tired. We don't work and then we'll rest. But out of this place of rest and transformation and vision that comes from God, out of that place we move. And then we rest again. And then we move. But what we get wrong is we go and go and go until we're tired. And the problem is then we don't go to God simply to be with him because then we need something. And we think that God needs to be there just to meet the other need that we actually have. And we miss him in the process. But are we still living in that rhythms of rest? Now it's interesting time of the year obviously October, November, literally around the corner. But if you feel tired, tired, burnt out almost, man, it's been a rough year, then we have to acknowledge that we didn't do it right. We didn't live out of the presence. And we strived, we tried hard to do something or to be someone that we weren't actually in private or vision that didn't come from God. And again, it would be easy to say tonight, Lord, I acknowledge that and I'm turning towards the right direction. But again, repentance is also needed. Because when we fail to live out of a place of rest, and I need to deal with this regularly. Many times we're in such a hurry to get things done and we're so anxious about what's going to happen. We, we think to ourselves, man, I cannot afford to spend a couple of hours in prayer or just in solitude with God because stuff needs to happen. And we actually think that we'll have a better better plan than God has. Or we'll get it done in a better way than God will. Instead of just going to rest with the one that already knows. And trusting him to lead and to guide. Because of that there needs to be repentance and say Lord I acknowledge this and I'm shifting to a different place. But are we still living out of that place of rest? How do you feel? You know, whenever you say you are tired, and I get it, there's different types of tired. A physical tired that comes quite often. Some of the people that have been at camp with a volleyball specifically, it's okay. It's okay to be a little bit tired. Stiff maybe as well. But spiritually tired, and we know the difference. 
emotionally tired, when we are spiritually tired, there's just this sense of apathy. I just want to go and lay down and do nothing. Nothing comes out. Nothing to give. Emptiness. Know the feeling. Then we have to acknowledge that we are not close to the one that gives rest. The invitation is there. Come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If we are tired, we are far from the one that gives rest. And the invitation is there. Draw near. Come to me, and I will give you rest. I want to end off tonight with a single verse, and I want us to reflect as we stand and as we pray. Who are we when only God is looking? Or maybe the people that you are most comfortable with. Unfortunately, many times, our wife, husband, kids, they know the real you. You know, I don't know if you've ever been in a a space or a situation where you gave an answer to someone or you said something and your wife looks at you. I didn't know you were that good. They know the real us. But to do introspection and when God starts to reveal certain things, draw near, allow him to change. And also I want to encourage us when it comes to praying with people, when it comes to gathering together as a church or as a small group, just be you. Just be you. And it's going to be uncomfortable sometimes. And I mean, my wife, I've, I've said it a couple of times, but I'll say it again. I don't know why we fight on Sundays and Wednesdays. But it's church day and it's small group day. And then it's uncomfortable. And, and many times we, we, we leave the small group that Wednesday so we don't have the, the option to tap out. We have to go. But sometimes they're coming to our house, so now they're coming. You know, we can't say, I don't want no sick of. We have to go. And then as we enter, we just simply say, if you're wondering, who comes so many we are busy fighting. We haven't sorted it out yet. We are mid-fight. It's going to be some, some friction, some braving. It happens at the office as well. Silna has noticed when we bring some stuff in there. Because it's interesting now. She's my personal assistant also at work now. When there's a bit of friction, there's a bit of an unwillingness to personally assist me sometimes. Um, and you can see that. And it's okay. There's no reason to, to pretend. We all share the heart of Christ. We want to pray with one another. We want to be there for one another. But let's be real. Real people doing real life together. And let's pray with one another. And let's allow God to deal with the stuff that he wants to deal with. And let's acknowledge it first. We have to acknowledge who we are. And to shift. To say, Lord, may my public worship, my public prayer life reflect my private one as well but may it look the same because I'm doing it for you and for you alone. Amen. I end off for us with the following verse. Jeremiah 17, verse 10. I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his deeds. I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds.
We can pretend with one another. We can some, sometimes speak a certain way, dress a certain way, act a certain way. People won't notice. But God knows. With him there is no pretense. And the interesting thing is those things that God is stirring in your heart, those things that he wants to deal with, to work with, and we sometimes so scared to just say, to just acknowledge and to start to pray. He already knows. He already knows. You're not gonna catch him off guard. But let's do, as scripture says, Hebrews 10, 22, let's draw near with a true heart. A holy heart, we don't have one. A pure heart, we don't have one. But a true heart, we can bring to God. Say, Lord, this is who I am. And allow God to come and form and to come and mold. And when we step out of that, being with Christ, being with God. We can just simply be who he made us to be. Transformed people, perfect now, but a little bit more like Christ, hopefully every week, amen. Let's stand and pray together. Yes, Lord, Father, thank you that we can come before you tonight, Lord. And just acknowledge, Lord, and just reflect for some of the moments, Lord, where stuff happens and we react in a certain way, Lord, and we speak in a certain way. And we wonder, Lord, yes, where did that come from? And instead of acknowledging it, Lord, instead of bringing it to you, Father, we try hard out of our own strength to be better. Instead of just hearing the invitation to come. The Father's arms are open wide. And some of us, maybe we've pretended for so long that we actually have no idea who we are. No idea. And that's okay. God knows. Draw near. Some of us are tired. Tired pretending. Tired saying every single time when someone asks you, how are you doing? No, fine, thanks. You're tired, tired of saying that. You don't have to. We can be real with one another. Struggling with certain things, there's this sin that just keeps tripping us up. God is saying you don't have to deal with that on your own. Firstly, bring it to Him. But then if He leads you to share it with someone else, to pray with, to keep you accountable, to walk a road with you, do it. But let's do what God calls us to do. And some of us, maybe you think to yourself, man, you don't even know when was the last time you just worshipped God on your own. might even not know even where our Bibles are. Where is the little divider in your Bible? Where are you busy reading? What's God busy saying? Some of us might even not know how to start a prayer. Start like that. Say, Lord, I don't know what to say.
Amen. 